This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Today is Thursday, November 16th, 2023. I'm Yulia, and I will be briefing you on the war in Ukraine. The key topics in today's report are Severe sanctions, surviving under occupation, and the Leopard 1 main battle tank. First up, the front. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine releases a daily report at 6 a.m. each morning that includes a breakdown of Russian losses for the past 24 hours. The losses that were reported to have occurred on Saturday, November 11th through Thursday, November 16th included 6,100 personnel, 71 tanks, 104 armored personnel carriers, 194 artillery systems, nice, 15 multiple launch rocket systems, even nicer, 7 anti-aircraft systems, 1 Su-25 fighter jet over Avdiivka, even, even nicer, 94 tactical operational drones, and 432 combat engagements were also reported. I'm sorry, but in no other society outside of Russia would this level of loss be sustainable. Finland, if you're listening, maybe it's time to take back the Gulf of Finland islands, Karelia and Sala, even though we know that you don't want the dilapidated Russian territories. But just a thought. We'll quickly take a look at the situation across the front. It remains difficult for Ukraine. A Russian stealth mobilization continues. Despite massive losses taken around Avdiivka, for example, Russian forces increased the number of troops in the occupied areas and towards the front from 440,000 before the Battle of Avdiivka to 442,000 after. Russia is trying to, and we would argue in some places along the front, regained the initiative by throwing waves and waves of meat assaults, Bakhmut-style, near Liman Pershi and Avdiivka. Their goal is undoubtedly to regain the initiative theater-wide by maintaining an increasing pressure in key areas across the front. It's not clear whether the gambit will work. Ukraine continues to take advantage of areas along the front where Russian forces have been weakened due to offensive operations elsewhere, such as in Kherson. One of our longtime listeners, Jason, reported through his source on the ground that, quote, Russians have already been captured in South Kherson, who were in Avdiivka 36 hours ago. It's shifting fast. End quote. Indeed, during a call between Ukrainian Commander-in-Chief General Valery Zaluzhny and U.S. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff General Charles Brown, Zaluzhny said Avdiivka, Kupiansk, and Marienka directions are the most intense, but noted that Ukrainian forces are continuing offensive actions in unspecified sectors of the front. Ukrainian Ground Forces Commander Colonel General Oleksandr Sirsky emphasized that Russian forces are pursuing simultaneous offensive actions in several directions, and trying, particularly, to regain the initiative north and south of Bakhmut. The Khortitsa Operational Strategic Group is responsible for the Kupinsk, Liman, and Bakhmut axes. 
Clashes continue near Limon Pershy, Sinkivka, and Pershotravneva. Do you remember our brief conversation last time about Parvomaiske? Well, Pershotravneva is Ukrainian for Parvomaiske. Don't we love the not confusing at all foreign reporting of Ukrainian cities? So yeah, if you see it next time, you'll know. It's the same thing. The Russians have a significant advantage in manpower and, according to Deep State, can advance between one and two positions every day. In the Bakhmut area, fighting continues in Klishivka to the south of the city, with Russians making some confirmed advances, and the fighting to the north in Yahidne is ongoing. The Tavria Operational Strategic Group is responsible for the Avdiivka, Marienka, Shakhtarske, and Zaporizhia axes. In Avdiivka, Russians are on the offensive in many places, including west of Kamyanka, near the water treatment plant, and at the highway near Vinogradniki. Confirmed advances were made in Novokalinova. To the west of Staromayorske, Russians are also pressing on Ukrainian defense forces. The AFU is counterattacking in the forest strips west of Robotona. The Odessa Operational Strategic Group is responsible for the Kherson Axis, Krim, and the Black Sea Fleet. On the left bank of the Dnipro River in Kherson, the AFU continues to maintain very tight operational security. The bridgehead in Krynki has come under increasing pressure in the past few days, with Russian fighter jets staying well behind the front lines and launching KAB glide bombs towards Ukrainian forces there. We'd hazard a guess that one of the first places those F-16s will go will be in this operational direction, to neutralize the threat from the skies. Fun fact, the other day, my source on the ground had sent me a video of air support. Since it was the wee hours of the morning, I decided, oh my god, it's an F-16, and confused the entire military battalion with my assessment. Thanks to our research assistants John Stamp and Robert McCann, the confusion was resolved. There are no F-16s over Donetsk Oblast. It was an Su-25, and I've learned a thing or two about military aircraft. And then was swiftly brought back down to Earth. In Svatova, Luhansk Oblast, and Bakhmut, Donetsk Oblast, the Russians used chemical weapons. Again, against Ukrainian troops. Russians used chlorpicrin, which they inexplicably were allowed to keep after the fall of the Soviet Union. Great idea. That was used in World War I. Its mechanism of action is unclear, but it is thought to inhibit thiol-containing enzymes critical to life, such as succinate dehydrogenase and pyruvic oxidase. Recent studies on the gas show the toxicity may be due to inhibition of the pyruvate dehydrogenase complex and elevated liver oxyhemoglobin. That's a doctor of pharmacy way of saying it prevents oxygen from being generated in the powerhouse of the cell, the mitochondria. Oh, and it also causes cancer. Oh, and it's a war crime. Next, the temporarily occupied territories. A powerful explosion at the headquarters of the Russian occupiers occurred in temporarily occupied Melitopol, Zaporizhia Oblast, on November 11th. At least three Russian Rosgvardia, or Russian National Guard officers, were killed. If telegram videos on the wreckage are to be believed, and we do believe them, casualties are much higher. Aw, jak prykro. That means, aw, sad, 
But, you know, I figured I'd let you know I'm Ukrainian for once. Ukraine's Military Intelligence Agency, or HUR, said the attack was organized by the local resistance movement. The explosion occurred in a Russian-occupied building located on Dmitry Dansov Street that the occupiers are, but now where, using as their headquarters. We wanted to bring you some details about what it's like to live in the occupied territories. Maria Shavalova, professor of literature at National University of Kyiv Mohyla Academy, and our first guest on our sister podcast FAQU, Ukraine Explained, spoke to us about her relatives living somewhere in either occupied Kherson or Zaporizhia Oblast. We will keep it a mystery in order to guarantee their security. The only thing we can say, it's nice, warm, and coastal there. Some of my family members, they are living under Russian occupation. And it's a challenge to speak with them as they are not willing to take, you know, Russian documents. And But sometimes when we do have this physical ability to talk with them, they are sharing uh, very frustrating and terrifying stories that are deeply connected with moral and emotional and physical violence. My family members, they were kidnapped a few times by Russian authorities. And uh, yesterday, uh, they were fined because they were speaking Ukrainian. So now they have to pay to Russian authorities who came to Ukrainian land, occupied them. They have to pay because they are speaking their own language in a, in a supermarket or in a store. I, had, I don't have details because we do not have a chance to talk a lot right. and discuss many stuff. Though they owe 6k rubles to authorities, and other things, relatives are sharing that Russians are buying Ukrainian hryvnas in a very cheap way to, to boost Russian currency on occupied areas, but then they take it to St. Petersburg and sell uh, in a very expensive exchange rate, because then St. Petersburg... Uh, hipsters can buy it and go to Georgia and be more welcomed. So I'm fascinated how they can earn on our own currency and make a business from an occupation and taking your money and selling to your own citizens. Be more welcome in other countries. They are occupied because they occupy Georgia as well. It's complicated. First, they were trying to coordinate in order to flee, but it became too late. Be- so mainly there was poor communication between kids and younger and older generation. But then some of them were serving in fire department. So because they have photos on their documents that look like militia, police uniform, they were too scared to do that. You know, if you are leaving, you, you can't just leave. You have older and younger members. And you need to think about logistics and stuff like that. Sometimes people are stubborn and don't want to leave their home or boyfriend, if it's younger representatives of, or of your family. And that's how they stuck there. And then they didn't risk to go with documents like that. In occupied Luhansk, Russia has introduced additional lessons on Russian history of the 21st century for students of 9th grade, as reported by the Luhansk Regional Military Administration. A significant part of the course is dedicated to Russia's war against Ukraine. 
Propaganda works with tomorrow's graduates in advance. Mandatory military registration is still ahead, as soon as they turn 17, the administration emphasized. Russian teachers are brought into the occupied territories to re-educate slash brainwash or, known legally, as one of the markers of genocide, the schoolchildren who are not forcibly deported to Russia. Yet. Another interesting practice of genocide that has occurred in occupied territories is not only forcing Ukrainian citizens to surrender their passports and undertake Russian citizenship, but also to change and Russify their last name while they're at it. They're being offered to do it quick, legally, and with no cues by calling a number specified on brochures that have been stuck to pretty much every lamppost in occupied Melitopol. There you have it. This is how, from Ivanenko, you can become Ivanov. From Kovalenko, you can become Kovalev. And this is exactly how Russia has accumulated such a high percentage of, quote, ethnic Russians on the territory of Ukraine. Go figure. Former Wagner Group fighters, now assimilated into the Russian National Guard's Razgvardia command structure, have set up a military camp near the Russian-occupied port city of Skadovsk in Kherson Oblast. However, Ukraine's National Resistance Center reports that former Wagner fighters are not provided with anything. All logistical problems are blamed on the so-called volunteers. The former mercenaries have not been provided with means of transportation or personnel protective equipment. Aww, so sad. Gyunduz Namedov, the former deputy prosecutor general of Ukraine, cited a report from the National Resistance Center to highlight a pernicious component of genocide against Ukrainians. Occupation authorities in Donetsk and Luhansk oblasts labeled all Ukrainian books published between 1994 and 2021 very specific as extremist literature. Over nine years of occupation, Russia censored and destroyed nearly all Ukrainian literature while importing 2.5 million Russian books in 2023 alone. Next, the home front. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code POD. That's ShipStation.com with the code POD. We've noticed countrywide air alerts going off for longer duration in response to MiG-31K fighter jets practicing refueling with IL-78 tankers, allowing the fighter jets to remain airborne for up to five hours at a time. The MiG-31K is the only fighter jet that carries the KH-47M2 Kinjal hypersonic cruise missile, which poses a threat to the entirety of Ukrainian territory. To our knowledge, if such a Kinjal is launched, only the Patriot or SAMPT-T air defense system can intercept them. I'd like to put in a note here. One of the things I find foreigners not understanding very well because, well, they've never been to Ukraine during wartime, or otherwise, 
is that normally when an air raid goes off when a MiG is in the air, it is protocol that the entirety of Ukraine goes up in an air alarm. Because no one knows where the MiG is going, whether it's going, and what is going to happen next. And that's how you end up stuck in a five-hour limbo. Normally, you have about four hours notice before you need to go to an air raid shelter before the air alarm rings, especially if you're in Kyiv or Lviv, so farther remote regions that are not directly at the front line. There, you have no notice. With these particular MiGs, you have no notice. If they're in the air, you're in danger, and you ought to sit there and wait for them to finish what they're doing. Or, I don't know, strike you with a missile. Either or, it's a limbo. When we stayed in Kyiv August through October, a lot of the times we would have these air raids go off in the middle of the day while we would be going about our day, and we would have to drop what we were doing and go to a shelter. Because you never know whether these MiGs are practicing or practicing on you. And that's the everyday life of a Ukrainian. The Ukrainian capital of Kyiv, which we just spoke about, is actively decommunizing its public space, having removed over 100 Soviet monuments, with 56 more to go. Hanna Starostenko, deputy head of the Kyiv City State Administration, said, quote, Monuments and memorial plaques representing the Soviet and imperial past have no place in the capital. Together with experts and representatives of specialized institutions, we are carrying out large-scale work to finally remove from the public space all those objects that glorify the aggressor country. In the words of embattled rap artist and professional flautist Lizzo, it's about damn time. Ukrainian officials counted 4.9 million internally displaced persons, or IDPs, in November, with 3.6 million of them receiving IDP status after Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine in February 2022. Irina Varashchuk, Ukraine's Minister of Reintegration of the Temporarily Occupied Territories, yes, we have a ministry for that, unfortunately, said that nearly half of all IDPs are not receiving government benefits because they have not formally applied. There is no publicly available official data on how many Ukrainians have returned to their homes from abroad or from other regions of Ukraine. A recent survey of Ukrainians found the highest level of trust were in General Zaluzhny and the armed forces. Followed by President Zelensky, his approval rating is still at an outstanding 70%, with the least in People's Deputies of the Verkhovna Rada, otherwise known as members of the Ukrainian parliament. In the past week alone, there have been two scandals involving deputies, following the high-profile resignation of People's Deputy Yuri Aristov in late July. There are strict rules regarding whether and under what circumstances People's Deputies can leave Ukraine during martial law which they all have to vote on, by the way. Aristov, 48, traveled to Poland for a work trip, but then faked sick leave to stay at the five-star hotel on the island of Ithafushi in the Maldives. He was arrested by the SBU, Ukraine's internal security agency, for falsifying documents and is facing three years in prison. On November 14th, People's Deputy Oleksandr Dubinsky was officially informed by the SBU that he is accused of treason and was ordered detained for 60 days without bail by the Pechersk District Court in Kyiv. He's accused of being involved in subversive actions against Ukraine and for taking part in criminal activities directed by the GRU, Russia's military intelligence. 
Dubinsky spread fake information to meddle in the 2020 U.S. presidential election, falsely claiming that then-candidate Joe Biden urged Ukrainian prosecutors not to investigate oil company Burisma. Joe Biden's beleaguered and bedraggled son, Hunter Biden, served on Burisma's board, and there is no evidence of any wrongdoing. Dubinsky's codename was Buratina, which translates to Pinocchio. Hmm, I wonder why. In addition to Dubinsky, the SBU issued warrants for former Deputy Andriy Derkach, who went abroad before the full-scale invasion, former prosecutor Konstantin Kulik, a fugitive from justice, and the heads of a subversive spy network Ihor Kolesnikov. Volodymyr Alexeyev, deputy head of the main intelligence directorate, is accused of founding the network in 2019. Derkach and Dubinsky met with splificated simpleton and indicted Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani in their harebrained attempt to subvert the U.S. election. In other news, on November 15th, the SBU opened a case against former People's Deputy Irina Farion for four crimes. In one instance, she leaked a telegram conversation that resulted in an arrest of a student in occupied Karim. She berated members of the AFU who speak Russian instead of Ukrainian. She was forced to resign from her professorial position at Lviv Polytechnic University due to a massive walkout of students from the institution. Irina Farion has gained her fame and audience through educating people on proper Ukrainian culture and Ukrainian language, which she's very good at. But she had gained infamy for being quite literally bad crazy. Pardon my French, but there is no better way to say it. A little bit of a follow-up here. There have been a lot of deepfakes of General Zaluzhny circulating online addressing Ukrainians and asking them to overthrow the president. Why specifically Zaluzhny? Well, you just heard it. The people trust him the most. Russian propaganda is trying to create a divide. And because they can't win on the battlefield? They're trying to win by literally dividing and conquering the Ukrainian people. Interior Minister Ihor Klimenko reported that two firefighters from Ukraine's state emergency service were killed by Russian shelling on November 15th in Zaporizhzhia Oblast while putting out a fire caused by earlier Russian missile attacks. 31-year-old Vitaly Nakaryakov and 34-year-old Serhii Drohokuplia were among firefighters who responded to the scene of earlier missile attacks on the Oblast in order to put out fires. Russia, again using a double tap, struck the site a second time, killing Nakaryakov and Drohokuplia, as well as injuring three other rescue workers and four other civilians. A double tap is a long-used terrorist tactic in which there is an initial strike followed by a delayed second attack so that it can potentially wound or kill first responders. I hate the phrase double tap because it doesn't accurately connote how insidious and vile these attacks are. The most recent example of Russia's double-tap on Ukraine was in Konstantinivka. It wounded many first responders. Among those injured was a policeman from Mariupol. During the siege of Mariupol, he assisted and kept safe a team of Associated Press journalists, including Mstislav Chernov and Yevhen Malaletka, while they were documenting everything that happened on the ground past evacuation order as the only news crew that stayed in the city. He later helped them evacuate and stayed in his native region of Donetsk, in Konstantinivka, to continue his duty of protecting people. Thankfully, he has recovered and he is well. But this story makes this crime even more insidious. 
U.S. cybersecurity company Mendiant released a report stating that Sendworm, a Russian hacker group from the GRU military unit 74455, is attempting to use new methods to sabotage power plants in Ukraine. Apparently, Russian hackers have been studying Ukrainian energy networks for months. The report noted that they even managed to turn off the circuit breakers at one of the substations in Ukraine in late 2022. The two incidents allegedly occurred on October 10th and 12th. The study notes that Russia continues to increase investments in cyber capabilities focused on the impression of operating systems. Investigators suggest that we may be talking about several hacker groups, since sometimes there is a lack of coordination between different individuals or operational subgroups involved in the attack. Ukraine sent a blunt message to Putin over the weekend. You cut our power. We kneecap you. Ukraine will consider attacking Russia's oil and gas infrastructure in retaliation for strikes against Ukraine's electric system during the winter, Energy Minister Herman Halushenko told Politico in an interview on November 10th. Halushenko made the promise in Washington, D.C., after meeting with Biden administration officials and members of Congress, otherwise known as lawmakers. He said Russia has regularly perpetrated cyber attacks against Ukraine's electrical grid and is expected to ramp up physical attacks as temperatures fall and people depend more on energy to heat their homes. His comments came after President Zelensky said last month Ukraine, which has launched multiple attacks against Russian targets, would respond if Russia stepped up attacks on his country's power grid this winter. This could open the door to the possibility that the European conflict could add more turmoil to global energy markets. When asked if Zelensky's response could include Ukraine targeting Russia's vast oil and gas operations, by far the biggest driver of its economy, Halushenko replied, quote, It would only be fair. We would answer by taking the same approach, attacking their energy infrastructure. End quote. And he's right. Bombs away. Meanwhile, attacks on Ukraine's power infrastructure continue. The press service of Ukraine's energy ministry said that a Russian attack on Sumy Oblast damaged a substation on November 10th, knocking out power to six oblasts. The service added that the electricity generated by Ukrainian power plants is sufficient to meet the consumer's needs. A 6-kilowatt power line in Dnipropetrovsk Oblast went down due to the attack, leaving over 1,100 consumers cut off from power. In addition, a low-pressure gas pipeline in the town of Nikopol was damaged during the bombardment, leaving some residents without gas. Our guest today, Maria Shavalova, is still without power, including heat, electricity and hot water, due to the Iskander M attack on Kyiv last week. Speaking of not having power, next, Inside Russia. Yet another Iranian Il-76TD Poya Air military transport plane landed in Vnukova airfield at 10.53 Moscow time on November 15th. We have a clear message for Iran, and we don't want to repeat it. Your supreme ayatollah is an infidel. An investigation conducted by the German project Corrective revealed that Russian companies continue to maintain access to purchasing firearms and ammunition from the EU and the US, despite export restrictions. 
Since the onset of Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine, nearly 7,300 firearms, including over 100 sniper rifles and nearly 8 million rounds of ammunition, have made their merry way to Russia. These imports involve products from various Western manufacturers, including U.S. companies Smith & Wesson, Barrett Firearms, and Desert Tech. Austrian. Shocker. Brands like Glock and Steyr Arms, as well as German companies, including Merkeljagd und Sportwaffen. Huh, nice name. Namo Schunebach, Ruag Amotech, Blaser, and others. Worse, some of those Western weapons found their way into the Russian military operating in Ukraine. Firearms like Glock pistols, AR-15 automatic rifles, and Blazer R8 carbines have been identified. The weapons were also observed at the freaking arms fair in Moscow. Well, that makes me very happy that I chose against a Smith & Wesson tactical knife when selecting a birthday present for a frontline officer in Avdiivka. Good intuition. The UK Defense Intelligence Update had a couple of interesting news nuggets recently. They wrote that Russia's State Archive Agency published a collection of hundreds of documents dating back to the 11th century, and, of course, included fake historical analyses by Russian President-slash-dictator Vladimir Putin that attempted to justify Russia's full-scale invasion. The documents are representative of the Kremlin's weaponization of history which is intensifying and, quote, aimed at inculcating anti-Westernism in the minds of the Russian population and intimidating its immediate Western neighbors, end quote. The collection, titled in the Orwellian on the historical unity of the Russians and Ukrainians, is used to support the often repeated Russian hypothesis that Russians and Ukrainians are one people, and that the Ukrainian shift westward is only because of foreign malign influence. You can learn the true history of Ukraine and Kyiv and Rus in one of our previous episodes, linked in the show notes. The TLDR is Ukraine came first, and Russia forgot Ukraine existed until the 1600s. On November 12th, the DIU said that as of October 2023, large elements of the Wagner Group private military company had likely been assimilated into the command structure of Rosgvardia and resumed active recruitment. The Wagner arm under Rosgvardia is likely led by Pavel Prigozhin, son of the late Wagner owner Evgeny Prigozhin. Ah, Russian family values. Other groups of Wagner fighters have likely joined another Russian PMC, Redut, which RFE-RL claims now has 7,000 personnel. I know the holiday season is fast approaching, but what is this? Oprah's favorite things giveaway? You get a PMC, you get a PMC, you get a PMC, and the Russian Orthodox Church is getting a PMC. No, seriously, they have one. Chechen leader and Skaturian Spatoon Ramzan Dondon Kadyrov also said that Wagner Group medics had joined Chechen Ahmad Special Forces. Previously, Kadyrov claimed 170 former Wagner fighters had already joined Ahmad. The report did not, however, address Wagner Group operations in Africa and Syria. Next, news worldwide. Last week, the UK sanctioned Russian oligarchs and businesses, as well as international networks propping up the country's oil and gold industries. 
The Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office said 29 individuals and entities had been targeted in an effort to prevent them from helping Moscow evade existing international sanctions. Russia's gold and oil sectors have close links to the Kremlin and help fund its invasion of Ukraine. Two of Russia's largest gold producers, Norgold and Highland Gold Mining, and Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin's varlets, Vladislav Sviblov and Konstantin Strukov. A United Arab Emirates-based network responsible for funneling more than $300 million in gold revenues to Russia has also been designated. With friends like the UAE, who needs enemies? Handler of gold shipped to the UAE, Paloma Precious DMCC, and the key person behind the outfit, ignoble wannabe baron Howard John Baker, were also targeted. We have more cancel culture news coming out of Finland. Finland's environment and climate minister Kai Mikkonen said his country aims to ban imports of Russian liquefied natural gas. Mikkonen said that the ban will be proposed as part of implementing the EU's latest gas market package. He added Russian LNG could be banned from Finland within two years of the EU's gas package taking effect. Finland's state-owned energy company, Gasum, still receives LNG from Russia. Kiitos! But wait, there is more. You get sanctions, and you get sanctions, and you get sanctions. Gosh, I feel like I'm on Ellen's show. Uh, That was (laughs) cancelled. Okay. Canada's foreign ministry imposed sanctions on nine Russian individuals and six legal entities involved in spreading Kremlin disinformation and propaganda. Canadian Foreign Minister Melanie Jolie said the new sanctions are aimed at individuals who, through their role in the Kremlin-backed orchestration of disinformation and war propaganda, are directly promoting Russia's aggressive war against Ukraine. Canada imposed sanctions on organizations that spread disinformation. These include the wonderfully imaginative think tank named the Center for Social Conservative Policy, the Institute of State and Law of the Russian Academy of Sciences, Russia Beyond, the Kremlin organization that promotes Russia, Newspapers Izvestia and Parlamentska Gazeta, and Russian TV channel REN TV. The Canadian Foreign Ministry said, quote, These entities are part of an organized network whose intent is to spread false narratives and propaganda, as if it were expert opinion, in an attempt to legitimize Russia's unjustifiable violation of Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity. End quote. In a juicy scoop, The Financial Times reported on November 12th that the U.S. is directly targeting Russia's ability to export LNG for the first time. The goal? Strangling one of the Kremlin's most important energy projects. While European countries continued importing Russian LNG even after Moscow's full-scale invasion of Ukraine, the U.S. has sought to avoid disrupting flows so as not to increase pressure on allies battling an energy shortage. Until now. As we reported in a previous episode, the State Department sanctioned the Russian Arctic LNG-2 project in early November, blocking European and Asian countries from buying the gas when the project starts producing next year. Raise a glass to U.S. hegemony here, am I right? Arctic LNG-2 is led by Russian private company, as private as any company can be in Russia, Novatech. This represents the first time LNG supplies themselves have been directly affected, the Financial Times reports. The $21 billion project on the Gdan Peninsula in the Russian Arctic would export LNG to both Europe and Asia. 
At full production, it would account for a fifth of Russia's goal of producing 100 million tons of LNG a year by 2030. It was expected to begin shipping in the first quarter of 2024, but uh, that's not gonna happen. The EU is poised to ban the export of precision machine tools and key weapons manufacturing equipment components to Russia. Uh, what took them so long? Was it prick of a prestidigitator and provincial peasant Viktor Orban? The ban, sorry, the ban. If enacted and effectively enforced, and enforcement is key here, could deal a significant blow to Russia's defense industrial base given precision machine tools' importance in industrial manufacturing. Bloomberg reported on November 15th that the EU's 12th sanctions package proposes a ban on the export of precision machine tools and machinery parts that Russia uses to make weapons and ammunition, such as welding machines, lithium batteries, thermostats, motors, and drone motors. Russia has been importing precision machines and precision machine tools from Europe to sustain its ammunition production and other defense production efforts. BNE and Telenews reported in 2021 that Russia's near-total reliance on European and U.S.-produced precision machine tools makes Russia particularly vulnerable to such sanctions, and noted that, at the time, Russia imported almost all of the precision machines it required. Denmark means business. The Financial Times reported on November 15th that the EU proposed measures that would allow Denmark to inspect and block Russian oil tankers traveling through the Danish Straits. Nice! These measures are part of an EU effort to enforce a G7 cap demanding that Western insurers only provide coverage to Russian shipments where oil is sold for less than $60 per barrel. An unnamed senior European government official told FT that, quote, almost none of the Russian maritime oil shipments in October 2023 were below the $60 a barrel price cap. The EU is concerned that Russian tankers are violating EU regulations by frequently traveling with falsified financial statements or non-Western insurance. Philander and President of Slovakia Robert Fajko had his Minister of Defense Robert Kalinak inform NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg that Slovakia would terminate its military aid to Ukraine. Kalinak said that while military support from stockpiles will end, Slovakia remains committed to providing Ukraine with a sufficiently wide spectrum of humanitarian, civilian, and technical non-lethal assistance. Slovakia's decision to halt the military aid for Ukraine came after newly elected pro-Russian Robert Fico took office last month. However, Fico assured that the termination of the military aid concerns only the supplies of weapons and ammunition from Slovak army storage, and there would be no interference with private defense exports for Kyiv. Money talks. According to calculations based on government data acquired by Reuters, India saved roughly $2.7 billion by importing discounted Russian oil in the first nine months of 2023, helping to support the terrorist state's economic growth and easing pressure on its trade deficit. Crude oil accounts for about a third of India's overall imports by value. India is the world's third biggest oil importer and consumer, and replaced Europe as the largest buyer of seaborne Russian crude after the West imposed sanctions on Moscow over its invasion of Ukraine last year. Access to cheap Russian oil enabled India to cut imports from the Middle East, where prices stabilized following Saudi Arabia's voluntarily additional supply cuts since July. On November 8, John Kirby, spokesman for the National Security Council, 
said that the U.S. has used 96% of funds approved by Congress for aid to Ukraine. Quote, Of the total funds that have been provided to Ukraine since the beginning of the war, which is in excess of $60 billion, and that's not just security assistance, that's economic, financial, and humanitarian assistance, we've gone through about 96% of what's left. The Defense Department is down to about $1.1 billion of replenishment money as we head into the winter time. So as I've said before, the runway is getting shorter, and that's why we need that supplemental request approved, end quote. Kirby is referring to the $106 billion supplemental security request President Biden sent to Congress for aid to Ukraine, Israel, and the southern border. Speaking of Congress, let's take a look at how the August legislative body and hallowed institution of democracy is doing. He, he made a lot of statements, right? And his statements are fiction at best. Fiction? I read them. Can you hear me? What? I'll answer the question, please. I can't understand him, to be honest with you. Like he's self-made. Sir, I wish he was in the truck with me when I was building my plumbing company. Myself and my wife was running the office because I sure remember working pretty hard and long hours. Pretends like he's self-made. What a clown. Fraud. Always has been. Always will be. Quit the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me. Any place, any time, cowboy. Sir, this is a time, this is a place. You want to run your mouth? We can be two consenting adults. We can finish it here. Okay, that's fine. Perfect. You want to do it now? I'd love to do it right now. Well, stand your butt up then. You stand your butt up. Oh, hold on. Big oh, hold, stop it. Is that your Fire. solution? Every poll. Oh, no, no, sit down. Sit down. Okay. You know, you're a United States senator. Sit down. Actively. Oh, okay. okay. Sit down, please. All right. Can I respond? Mr. Hold Shim. it. Hold it. If we can't, no, I have the mic. I'm sorry. This is what he said. You'll have your time. Okay. Can I respond? No, you can't. (laughs) This is a hearing. But you and Goldman, who is Mr. Trust Fund, continue to try to... Reclaiming my time. No, I'm not going to give you your time back. We can stop the clock. You all continue to... You look like a smurf here just going around and all this stuff. Now, listen. Mr. Chairman, you no, have... No, I'm going to you, No, no, hold, hold on. If we're, you if we're not on time... We, you disinformation. You, you, you have you gone discount, on TV and said the president did something you illegal. You're doing stuff with your brother. The American people have the same questions. Why should they believe you? Why should they believe you? Why should they believe you? There's, there's a different rule for you the president. There's a different rule for you. Why should they believe you what you're saying, Mr. Chairman? Why? You go on Fox News and say loans you and go deals are a way to evade taxes. We don't know that's what you're doing or not. We don't know. We have no idea. We're supposed to take your word for it. But when the president well, you've says already something, been proven a liar, Mr. Moskowitz. What's that? You've already been proven a liar. Today. Who's proven me a liar? You? Yes. Your word means well, nothing, Mr. Chairman. Go to my hometown. There's a camera crew there today, an opposition research crew there today. Mr. Chairman, this seems to have gotten under your this seems to have gotten under your skin. I'll pay I mean, for your I, ticket. I, I, I think the American people have lots of questions, Mr. Chairman, and perhaps you should sit maybe for a deposition. I would. I will be happy. There's been uh, apparently a tense interaction in the Capitol hallways with Congressman Tim Burchett, who is one of the eight Republicans who voted out Kevin McCarthy from the speakership and apparently had a bit of a dust-up in the hallways himself with Kevin McCarthy. And I have Congressman Burchett with us here right now. So, Congressman, explain to us what happened with you and Kevin McCarthy. Well, I was doing an interview um, with um, Claudia from NPR, uh, a lovely lady, and when she was asking me a question, and, and at that time, I... I uh, got elbowed in the back 
and it kind of caught me off guard because it was a clean shot to the kidneys and I turned back and there was there was Kevin and um, and I, I for a minute I was kind of what the heck just happened and then I um, you know I, I chased after him of course he's a as I've stated many times he's a he's a bully with 17 million dollars in a security detail you know he's the type of guy that when you're a kid would throw a rock over the fence and run home and hide behind his mama's skirt and he just you know he he uh, from behind that kind of stuff it you know that's not the way we handle things in east tennessee we, we if we have a problem with somebody i'm gonna look them in the eye and, and talk to them okay so he walked down the hallway hit you in his elbow with his elbow yeah you, you can you can go on claudia's twitter account it it, it pretty much um her ex account it, right. it, it's it's very accurate but, okay so then just explain so you chased him what, what do you mean you chased well, him? i just ran after him i was like what the heck you know why'd you do that you know because it was a. Uh, like I said, if you ever been hit in the kidneys, it's a little little different. You don't have to hit very hard to cause a little bit of pain, a lot of pain, and and so I and he just, of course, um, as he always did, does he just uh, denies it or uh, blames somebody else or something, you know? And it was just a little heated, but I just backed off because there wasn't any. I saw no reason. I wasn't gaining anything from it, and then everybody saw it, so it didn't really matter. Like he responded to you. Yeah, yeah, he just acted like, you know, what are you talking about? You know, who are you? To, you know, that kind of thing. And it's just, you know, I think that's that's symptomatic of the problems that he, he's had in his short tenure as speaker. My Democrat colleague across the aisle, who's 80 years old and has been here over 30 years, just said we're on the verge of a shutdown. Uh, she probably just forgot that a few hours ago she voted for the continuing resolution uh, that will extend the budget, and we are not on the verge of a shutdown. So I just wanted to note that for the record. It may be that the gentlelady doesn't know that there is another body attached to the U.S. Congress called the United States Senate, and they have to vote on the continuing resolution. And when they vote on it, we'll find out what it is that they do with regard to this continuing resolution passed by the House, which quite frankly is flawed to a fare thee well. Flawed to a fare thee well in meeting our obligations, both domestic and international. And by the way, it isn't a law of the land or until the president of the United States signs it. That may be a basic level, in, a lesson in civics. There is the House, there is the Senate, and there is the president. Well, that's not looking great. While the Daffy display of provoking Pablo may be entertaining, it's also scary. The House passed a stopgap bill averting a government shutdown, which was passed by the Senate in the dead of night. President Biden is expected to sign the bill. Although a government shutdown has been averted, the House adjourned for two weeks, kicking the can down the road until early next year, and setting up further clashes on Ukraine, Israel, and border security. Last week, the U.S. State Department detailed a sophisticated Russian disinformation campaign targeting Latin America, aiming to weaken support for Ukraine while promoting anti-American and anti-NATO narratives. The Kremlin is utilizing media connections in various countries, including Argentina, Bolivia, Chile, Colombia, Cuba, Mexico, Venezuela, Brazil, Ecuador, Panama, Paraguay, Peru, and Uruguay to disseminate disinformation. Narratives crafted in Russia are sent to local media in Latin American countries, where they are then tailored by local editors to resonate with the regional audience. 
In a story reminiscent of Paul Manafort days, Liganet revealed the Ukrainian Orthodox Church of the Moscow Patriarchate hired a lobbyist in the U.S. for $1,400 an hour to advance its interests there. It's pretty telling that the lobbyist had to register with the Department of Justice under the Foreign Agents Registration Act. This is further evidence that the soon-to-be excommunicated church in Ukraine is under full control of the Russian security apparatus. The Ukrainian Orthodox Church of Kyiv Patriarchate, and all other religions for that matter, are free to worship as they please in Ukraine. The news comes as Ukraine eyes legislation to outlaw religious entities with their centers in Russia, amid rising hostility in Ukrainian society towards the UOCMP. If approved, it could mean Ukraine taking the UOCMP parishes to court. The UOCMP is accused of retaining its ties to its Moscow Patriarchate, which fully supports Russia's full-scale invasion. And, quite frankly, anything the Kremlin tells it to. Interestingly, the lobbyist's contract is with Amsterdam and Partners LLP. Amsterdam and Partners announced they had been retained by Ukrainian oligarch and UOCMP archdeacon Vadim Novinsky to, quote, defend against a series of politically motivated attacks by the Ukrainian government, end quote. Yeah, good luck with that. Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft, says Russia is spreading disinformation about the Israel-Hamas war. Microsoft and its competitors, well, all but Twitter, not X, Twitter, are fighting against disinformation, especially using AI, by creating technological tools that facilitate the detection of manipulated, modified, or altered content. Smith said, quote, We're getting very good at identifying a Russian campaign like when they tried to tell people not to get the COVID vaccine, or today, when we see Russian disinformation in the Middle East. The three options facing technology platforms that identify this kind of disinformation are to do nothing, delete it, or relabel it, flag that the content has been modified. There is no social consensus about what companies should do. End quote. Our vote is to flag it, then archive it, so people can see what's been flagged as an active measures campaign. Or just delete it to make it harder for the Russians to see what's working and what isn't. And we have another Russland Deutsche. Hubert Scheipel, renowned filmmaker and author, is a self-declared Russian expert. For years, he's touted Putin's empire to German audiences. In a big surprise, an investigation by a collaboration of journalists shows Moscow paid a significant amount for this propaganda. Scheipel, received hundreds of thousands of dollars from Russian sources to fund the publication of books portraying Russia and the president-slash-dictator Vladimir Putin in a positive light. Seipel publicly denied receiving money from the Kremlin. He's a liar. An analysis by journalists from Paper Trail Media, Der Spiegel, ZDF, and iStories of leaked Cyprus legal documents as part of their Cyprus Secrets project shows he signed a sponsorship contract in 2018 that would pay him 660000 why not 666000 at this rate, dollars, in three installments for a book on Russian politics. The documents were obtained from a Cypriot financial services firm. To be fair to Cypel, the contract said the payments carried no obligation regarding the book's contents. But also to be fair to Cypel, why would they put that in writing? Writing in The Atlantic on November 10th, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Anne Applebaum, on whose work we rely heavily in our research, argued why it was essential for the West to ensure Russia loses its war in Ukraine. 
Applebaum argued that Russia planned to take Kyiv in three days, and the rest of Ukraine in six weeks. More than 21 months later, however, Russian forces have withdrawn from half the territory they occupied in February of last year. She said Ukraine, the US, and the EU have achieved something remarkable. Working together, they have not only preserved the Ukrainian state, but stood up to a bully whose nihilism harms the entire world. Applebaum warmed Putin hasn't given up his plans. He thinks Ukraine's allies will lose interest. Quote, The Allied fight against Russia in Ukraine has damaged Russia's ability to project negative power in Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. But despite his extraordinary losses, Putin still believes that time is on his side. If he can't win on the battlefield, he will win using political intrigue and economic pressure. He will wait for the Ukrainians to grow tired, and he will try to make that happen too. He will wait for Donald Trump to win the 2024 U.S. presidential election, and he will do anything he can to help that happen too. End quote. She is not wrong. As Ukrainians have shown the West, democracy requires constant vigilance, Recent setbacks in Montenegro and Slovakia underscore the need for civil society in all Western democracies to fortify themselves against the Kremlin's active measures. Pro-democracy wins in the recent off-year elections in the U.S. Dems flipped yet another New Jersey state assembly seat, now that all votes are counted, by the way. And in Poland should give us hope. On November 15th, U.S. President Joe Biden and Chinese President-slash-dictator-slash-Winnie-the-Pooh Xi Jinping met in San Francisco for a highly anticipated summit. They agreed on nothing, except re-establishing diplomatic relations. A lot of Western media is declaring the summit a success. But it shows a lack of understanding of the Chinese Communist Party. The most important outcome of the session was the resumption of communications between U.S. and Chinese military officers not just the top generals, but also theater commanders. However, this doesn't mean that the CCP will change its official policy of reunifying Taiwan with mainland China. Nor does it stop their aggressive military engagements. And nor does it stop Chinese support for the North Korean regime, which is currently sending millions of shells to Russia to use in its genocidal war in Ukraine. And it doesn't change the CCP position that Turkic Uyghurs in concentration camps in Xinjiang province and the oppressed people of Tibet will be guaranteed human rights. Sure, it could help delay a war over Taiwan, for now. We are not holding our breath. Next, and last but not least, military and tech. German arms manufacturer Rheinmetall announced that it received an order from the German government to supply Ukraine with around 100,000 rounds of 120mm mortar ammunition. The order, worth a few hundred million euros, forms part of a recent 400 million euro military aid package for the Ukrainian armed forces. Delivery is due to begin shortly and extend over the next two years. Due to its enhanced range, heightened precision and optimum combat effectiveness Rheinmetall mortar ammunition can secure favorable outcomes even during operations in difficult terrain and urban environments. The Czech Senate extended the mandate to conduct combat training for Ukrainian military personnel in the country until the end of 2024. Radio Prague International reported Czech Defense Minister Jana Chernova told senators that her priority was to ensure conditions for the continuation of training for Ukrainian soldiers. 
adding that these actions bring the end of the war and the long-awaited peace closer. Quick analysis here. General Zaluzhny said building combat reserves is critical for success in the war. The UK recently confirmed it trained 30,000 Ukrainian soldiers. Ukrainian forces have been trained in the United States, the UK, Czechia, Sweden, Finland, Romania, France and Poland, among others. In the nine months since a German-Danish-Dutch consortium announced it would donate to Ukraine's war effort, an initial tranche of 100 German-made Leopard 1A5 tanks, the consortium, as well as Denmark acting alone, have added another 95 Leopard 1s, bringing the total to 195 of the spotted cats, according to Forbes. The most recent pledge by Germany last week included an extra 25 tanks. The first 20 or so Leopard 1A5s have already arrived in Ukraine, where they apparently equip a company within the new 44th Mechanized Brigade. The Leopard 1 was designed and first went into service in the 1960s. It's certainly obsolete by today's NATO standards, but remains a potent weapon if used properly. The variant being sent to Ukraine is the Leopard 1A5, which dates back to the 80s. A majority of the tanks pledged are equipped with basically the same targeting system as the much more modern Leopard 2. The weaknesses of the Leopard 1 on today's battlefield are well known. It weighs half of its Leopard 2 successor because it is very lightly armored. A compromise to provide superior mobility. Its second weakness used to be its strength. A licensed build copy of the British Royal Ordnance L7 105mm rifled cannon is hard-hitting, quick-firing, and above all, very accurate. However, it lags behind the 120mm and 125mm smooth-bore cannons now predominant on the battlefield, mostly because of the superior ammunition that's been developed for them, rendering the Leopard 1's rifled cannons NATO obsolete. So, wouldn't old tech, an inferior gun, and weak armor be a recipe for disaster? Wrong! With proper training and adoption of appropriate tactics, the nearly 200 tanks Ukraine will receive will be enough to equip three full battalions. Kyiv must figure out how to best use these tanks, mitigating their weaknesses and leveraging their strength. That means deploying the tanks where they can move quickly, stay behind cover, and shoot at range. As one Ukrainian tanker told Army Inform, quote, the advantage of the Leopard over, for example, the T-64 is in accuracy, range, and speed. End quote. One Danish tank instructor advised Ukrainian trainers that the Leopard 1A5 is a fast and accurate shooter, and therefore, it's best to fight while on the move. The Leopard 1 is made for driving and shooting. Forty years later, the L7 is still an effective weapon, if a bit less powerful than the latest guns. But it's not the gun itself that makes the Leopard 1A5 such an excellent shooter. It's the tank's whole integrated combat system, which includes the gun and its stabilizers, the gunner's optics, and the tank's computerized fire control system. Most of the Leopard 1A5 tanks Ukraine is receiving use the EMES-18 fire control system, which also equips the much newer Leopard 2. Unlike Russian-made tanks, the Leopards can fire accurately while on the move and hit moving targets at range. In short, the Leopard 1A5 can become an effective weapon on the battlefield when crews receive proper training and appropriate tactics. Andriy Yermak, Ukraine's presidential chief of staff, said Kyiv is seeking to boost the AFU's defense capabilities at a conference on joint Ukrainian-US weapons production scheduled in December 2023. 
His statement comes amid fears that supplies from the West could falter as the Republicans and Democrats have no clear path to a compromise on a $106 billion request for security aid to Ukraine and Israel proposed by U.S. President Joe Biden last month. A Russian anti-radar missile, which hit a civilian Liberian-flagged cargo ship on November 8, was probably used by Russians to target Ukrainian military raiders in the area, as reported by the UK Defense Ministry. Wow! They're really letting it rip today, huh? According to the UK Intel, it's a realistic possibility that the air-launched AS-17 missile, in the absence of a live military radar signature, locked onto the civilian ship's radar. Their analysis concluded that, quote, If so, this would demonstrate poor weapons employment tactics on behalf of the Russian pilot. End quote. No sh- Ukraine's Operational Command South previously said that Russia fired a KH-31P anti-radar missile at a civilian Liberian-flagged cargo ship entering a port in the Black Sea in Odessa Oblast. Ukraine's infrastructure minister said that the ship was loading freight iron ore destined for Russia's strategic ally, China. Thank you to Chris from Scotland for writing to us. He let us know that the URL for our Patreon in the show notes was broken. The issue has now been fixed. That concludes our brief today. We'll convene again later this week. In the meantime, remember to check your sources and don't fall for propaganda. Join us on YouTube and TikTok for more Ukraine content and live news reports. And if you haven't already, don't just consider it, but subscribe to our work on Substack or Patreon. It helps us a lot. In that sum of sack.